following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here um, and the beautiful sunshine. So we are going to go outside uh, after we finish in here for the baptism um, and hear some hopefully uh, wonderful testimonies from all of our baptismal candidates, which I'm very excited about. That's my favorite part, hearing the stories of how Jesus rescues people out of darkness. It's the most incredible, wonderful thing. Uh, Well, this morning, um, we're continuing our series looking at the promises of Jesus, and I'm really encouraged this morning about the promise that we're going to look at. You know, there have been numerous studies done uh, by the Barnard Institute and other research organizations that look into church kind of stuff, particularly in America and the West, about the declining state of church attendance, um, particularly in the West. The numbers are are going down, not as many people are going to church like they used to. Um, and COVID has just exacerbated all of that. Uh, lots of people haven't come back to church. They're staying away from church. Um, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and this week, and he was saying, oh, I've read a report that says, you know, 40% of uh, people aren't coming back to church, and it's looking pretty bleak and grim. And when we look at the state of the church in the world, it's, it can be quite discouraging. Uh, there are many threats to the survival of the church, external threats like persecution, um, that you know, in many parts of the world really threaten the church. Internal threats like division and splits and um, wrong doctrine and wrong teaching that divides churches. Um, the, the failure and the, the moral kind of compromises of, of prominent leaders brings the church into disrepute. All of these things can be quite discouraging and has led some people to wonder about the future of the church, wondering if the church will survive. Um, wondering uh, the, about the place of, of church in culture. And to be, sh- to be sure, uh, the, the church in the West does not hold the place of prominence and influence it once did. Um, there was a time when most people grew up going to church, going to Sunday school, uh, knew the Bible stories. I remember a few years ago when my kids were in primary school, I used to teach scripture. And there I was one day talking about David and Goliath. And all these kids are looking at me completely blank. Who is David? Who is Goliath? And they're like, one kid put up his hand and said, who, who is David? And I'm like, what? You don't know the story of David? That's like everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. But these kids, they didn't. And I, you know, and it, it's because it, it, our culture has shifted a long way from the biblical foundation and moorings that it once held to. And so it can be quite bleak and, and discouraging and just wondering, what of the church of Jesus Christ? Will it survive? And so this morning, we're looking at a promise that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 16, which I hope will encourage us. It certainly has encouraged me this week as I've been spending time studying this passage and looking at what Jesus is saying here. And I trust that it will really bless and encourage and challenge you as you think about your part in this incredible living, breathing organism called the Church of Jesus Christ. Let me pray and we'll look at this passage. Father, I want to thank you that you're on the throne. 
in spite of all that's going on in our world, in spite of all of the chaos and the craziness, of all the uncertainty, you rule and reign over it all. And so we come to you, Lord, in confidence, knowing that you're here this morning with us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, will you make us aware of his presence? Will you open our hearts this morning, Lord, to receive all that you have for us as you've already been doing during the worship and prayer time. Now, as we come around your word, Lord, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us and hearts that are eager and ready to yield and to surrender to your will and to obey your word. And Lord, to have the power and strength of your Holy Spirit to live out your word. We ask, Lord, for your help with that. I ask you to help me to communicate your word clearly, Lord, to communicate it with your power and your help, that, Lord, there would be revelation and transformation in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Matthew chapter 16, we're starting our reading from verse 13, and this is what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus said? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, here's that promise, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Incredible promise. And often misunderstood promise, misinterpreted promise. And there's been so much theological ink that has been spilled around the words of Jesus here, trying to figure out what is Jesus talking about? Who is he talking about? What did he mean by this? I'm not going to address all of those debates. If you want to, you can research that. I'll cover some of it because I think it's important for us to really know the power of this statement that Jesus is making. And to do that, we need to understand what he's actually saying. So the first thing I want to look at this morning is actually what this promise is that Jesus is giving us here. So let's look at it. I will build my church. That's the first thing I want you to see there. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's not our church. For those of you who've been in PCC for 20 years or 30 years or 50 years, it's Jesus's church. It is my church. And there's incredible power in that. Because if it's Jesus' church, he will build it. He will care for it. He will cleanse it. He will purify it. He will protect it. He will defend it. He will raise it up. He will preserve it. He will heal it. He will cleanse it. He will do everything because it's his church. And when we get discouraged and when we get weary and when we wander you know, about our church, this local church or any other church in in Parramatta or the universal church of Jesus Christ. We can be encouraged because it doesn't belong to Brian Houston or, or John Piper or Tim Keller or these major big names where we think, oh my goodness, if something happens to them, what will happen to the church? It's okay because it's not their church. It's Jesus's church. And he says, I will build it. 
And it says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It doesn't say the gates of hell as so many people interpret it. it Jesus is not referring here to the dominion of Satan. The, the Greek word there is very, very particular. And it refers to really the, the, the Old Testament understanding of the place of the dead, Sheol or Hades. And there was this idea that Hades or Sheol had gates. And these gates were impenetrable. They were strong. Um, and again, to help you understand it, gates were normally understood as defensive things, not aggressive things. They were to keep people in and to keep the enemy out. And so uh, Jesus is having in mind all of that Old Testament idea. One example of that is Isaiah 38, 10, which says this. I said, in the prime of my life, must I go through the gates of death? Same thing, gates of Hades, gates of Sheol, and be robbed of the rest of my years. The idea that's in the Old Testament is that if, when you died, that was it. You were imprisoned by Sheol, by Hades. You, you were under the power of death and nothing could bring you out. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. The power of death to stop the church, to conquer the church, to triumph over the church. Well, what did Jesus mean? Well, a good way to read your Bible is to look at the immediate context. If there's a verse or something that doesn't make sense to you, just read broader and see what else is being said there. That'll help you shed light on the bit that's really confusing. So what does Jesus go on to talk about? The very next section, starting in verse 21, is what? Jesus predicting his death. Jesus predicting his death. So it seems clear that what Jesus has in mind here is the power of death, not the power of Satan. It doesn't mean that Jesus is not thinking that Satan will be opposed to the church or that somehow the church will be overcome by Satan. No, I'm not saying that. But what Jesus is actually saying is that death itself will not conquer my church. And in the immediate context, he's thinking of his own death. Because right on the next passage, he goes to talk about that. He says, the chief priests and teachers of the law, the, the son of man must be killed on the third day, be raised to life again. What is Jesus saying? They can put me to death, but they won't stop my church. And I love that we're looking at this promise on the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, because Jesus proves this. That's why we can be confident that nothing will overpower the church because Jesus has been raised to life. Not even death, not even the gates of Hades can keep Jesus in or from him building his church. So clearly, Jesus at least has his own death in mind. And I think Jesus also has the death of his apostles in mind because he then goes on in verses 24 onwards to talk about that. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So Jesus is saying, not even the death of you, apostles, you 12 that have played such a significant role in salvation history. And as the book of Acts goes to show us immediately, they start being martyred as early as the time of the book of Acts. Jesus is saying, not even the death of my disciples, not even the death of apostles, not even the death of hundreds of thousands of Christians today in many parts of the world will be able to vanquish the church. The church will not be overcome by death, martyrdom, persecution. Because I have triumphed, I have conquered death, I have overcome death. And because of that, you and I can be confident that even when we die, the church will not die. Even if 
I can't be here to lead this church. And like we've been praying today, you know, we, we struggle for a season without a leader and we're wondering, will the church survive? Yes, the church will survive because it's not dependent on me or on the elders or on the board or on any leader because it's dependent on Jesus and he will build his church. And if death can't stand in the way, then Jesus is saying really nothing else can stand in the way. Nothing in heaven or on earth can vanquish the church. It will prevail. It will overcome. It will triumph and it will endure. That's the promise. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. How is Jesus going to do this? Well, Jesus here is talking about Peter because he goes on to say, and you, Peter, are the rock, this rock, and I will build my church on this rock. Now, there's been so much debate about that one word, this. Who does it refer to? Is it Peter? Is it Jesus? Is it Peter's confession? Is it all of the apostles? Now, again, if you read Catholic theology, it's Peter. And, and Peter is, is different to all the other apostles. Peter is elevated by Jesus and Jesus gives Peter a unique call. And the only true church is the church that's descended from Peter, that can trace its lineage back to Peter. And that somehow Jesus was appointing here Peter as the first pope. All that stuff comes from just that one verse. This rock. And in response to that, Protestant theologians have wanted to say, no, this is not about Peter. Jesus is talking about Jesus. Jesus is talking about all of the apostles. Jesus is talking about Peter's confession, not about... But when you read it in the context, Jesus is clearly talking to Peter. To Peter. Look at verse... I mean, Jesus asks the question in verse uh, 15 to all of them. That you there is plural. What about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, as he often does, steps up first, right? We, we, that's not unusual. We see Peter doing that all over the place. I, I'll go. Me, I'll have a crack. And here's Peter doing the same thing. He is the self-appointed spokesperson for everybody. And he comes forward and he says this incredible profession of faith. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that we've been anticipating and hoping for, God's servant who was going to usher in the kingdom of God. You are that Messiah. And more than that, you are the son of the living God. Now, commentators have wondered how much did Peter really understand what he was saying here? Maybe he didn't fully, but the, something had shifted for Peter. And so as we read, we, we see that Jesus is now in verse 17 replying to Peter. And he says, blessed are you, singular, Simon, son of Jonah. He's talking to Peter. For this was not revealed to you, singular, by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, singular, that you are Peter, singular. And on this rock, I will build my church. See, Jesus is using a wordplay, just like Peter has proclaimed something about Jesus' name and his identity and his role. Jesus is doing the same thing about Peter. He's essentially saying, just like Peter said, you are the son of the living God. Jesus is saying, Simon, son of Jonah. And then as, as Peter said, you are the Messiah, Jesus is saying, you are the rock. You are the rock. 
But even if we say that Jesus is speaking about Peter, there is nothing here that indicates all of the stuff that Catholic theology has made about that statement. There's nothing here about the papacy. There's nothing here about Peter being elevated in status. There's nothing here about the succession of the church or any of that stuff. Jesus is just saying, Peter, you have made a profound declaration. And that's why the word this is so critical. Because if Jesus wanted to say, on you, I'm going to build a church, he could have said that. But he says, on this rock. So Peter is clearly in view, but not Peter as the person. Peter as the one who has just made this incredible declaration of faith. That Peter is what Jesus has in mind. Because it is that declaration that will be the means that the church continues to grow. It is Peter, but it is Peter who has confessed faith in Jesus. That's why it says, this rock, I will build my church. And see, the rest of the New Testament confirms that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 11, Paul says that the, the, the foundation of the church is not Peter, it's Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. And that's what all of the New Testament writers go on to say. And in Ephesians 2, um, uh, I think it's 19 to 22 or something like that. Uh, again, Paul expands on that. And he now says, it's not just Peter, singular, but on the foundation of the church is all of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the capstone or the cornerstone. Peter himself in 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about living stones. And he says, Jesus is the cornerstone, not me. You see, and let me, let me prove to you why I don't think Jesus is saying, Peter, you're, you're above all the others. You're the greatest among the apostles. Because in chapter 18, verse 1, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if Jesus' statement settled it, why ask the question? Like, I mean, if, if Jesus was making such a profound statement, Peter, you're number one. You're, 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 the, you're, you're the supreme one. It's the church is going to depend completely on you then that question is null and void. The, rest of the, the disciples certainly didn't get that memo when they heard Jesus say it. And when Jesus goes on to give Peter the authority that, you know, again, the Catholic doctrine or theology makes a lot of the keys of, of heaven and, and to the authority to bind and loose. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives that same authority to all of the apostles in the plural in that instance. So what did Jesus mean? Let's cut to the chase. We can discuss theology all day, but what, is, what, is, what did he mean? Well, I think the bottom line that Jesus is trying to say is that yes, Peter is the rock. He is the foundation, but in what sense? See, a foundation can have the sense of everything else being built on top of it and like everything resting on the foundation. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying about Peter. I think that's Jesus. He's the foundation of the church. But a foundation is also the first thing that you do, Right? Before you build anything else, it's the first thing. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying to Peter. You will have a lead role in establishing my disciple community. You, you will have, because you're, you're the guy who's always stepping up anyway. You're going to have that role. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. Who do we see stepping up to kind of go, okay, we need to replace Judas? Peter. Who gets up and preaches the first sermon? Peter. Who performs the first miracle? Peter. Who's the one that you know, is pioneering the mission to the, the, the Samaria? It's Peter that gets sent out to endorse what's happening in Samaria. Who do we see taking the gospel to Cornelius, the first Gentile convert? Peter. That's what Jesus is saying. Peter, you're going to play a lead role because you've had a revelation that's going to be pivotal in this 
gospel church community that I'm establishing. And you're going to play that lead role. I was also thinking of that passage. I couldn't find it. I didn't have time to look it up. Where Jesus talked to Peter and say, you know, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And then he says, and then when you've been strengthened, strengthen your brothers. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. Peter, you've confessed something profound. You are now going to play the lead role in establishing this gospel community. Why is that significant for us? We're not Peter. I think, I think it's incredibly good news for us. Because like I said, in the very next section, Jesus has to rebuke Peter. Jesus turned to Peter, verse 23, get behind me, Satan. This is the guy who's just professed Jesus as the son of God, the Messiah, right? Who's, Jesus said, you're going to be the rock. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. And you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter was a messed up dude. He didn't have it all together. He was flawed. He was weak. He was broken. He was confused. He, you know, he was going to go on to deny Jesus. That hasn't even happened yet. And that is good news for us because Jesus is not looking for perfect people to build his church. He's looking for messed up people like Peter, messed up people like me, messed up people like you. What an incredible promise that is. That Jesus doesn't need super apostles. Jesus doesn't need people who have all the answers, who know exactly what to do. Jesus doesn't need people who are not going to sin and not going to fail and not going to make a bad decision and not going to deny Christ. Jesus doesn't need people like that. Jesus just is looking for ordinary people who have a revelation of who he is and are willing to stake everything on that. That's what we see Peter doing. He didn't have all the answers, but he's like, Jesus, you've got me. Whatever it takes, you've got me. And he hadn't figured that out yet. It's not that he saw the risen Jesus. Well, we're on the other side of all of that. We have encountered the risen Jesus. We've received the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's through Peter that Jesus wants to build his church. And not just Peter, but people like Peter. And I want to confess to you, brothers and sisters of PCC, the saints of PCC, I nearly said it again. It's ingrained, 30 years. I, you know, I, like it just proves my point. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't have all the answers. There's so many times where, you know, I, I, I've got no idea. I, I, I don't know. You know, people, you know, people ask me questions like, you know, so how are we going to raise, you know, $5 million for the building? I go, I don't know. And I don't. I really don't. And I, I just, I read this this week and I was so encouraged. I go, Jesus, if you can use Peter, you can use me. I, I, don't, I don't have answers. I don't have it all together. I'm not a giant of faith that believes that I struggle. I, in our connect group, we're talking about how we doubt with different things at different times. But that's good news for me. It's good news for you. It's not about having it all together. It's about knowing who Jesus is. And he will build his church through broken, flawed, messed up people like you and me. What great news. The last thing I want you to see here is why we can be so confident. See, because Jesus goes on to talk about giving Peter the keys of the kingdom in verse 19. And that's just a, a, a way of Jesus saying, as you proclaim the gospel, you will allow people to come in. 
And we see that in the book of Acts with uh, Peter's message in, in Acts chapter 3, uh, in Acts chapter 2, seeing thousands of people coming into the kingdom. That's what Jesus meant. I'm giving you this this the keys that unlock the doors, unlike the Pharisees who were locking the doors and keeping people from coming into the kingdom through their religious rules. But Peter was going to be different. He was going to declare the gospel and bring freedom through the preaching of the gospel and people were going to respond. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. He's basically saying, Peter, as you go along and do the work of ministry, as you preach and as you go into the the world and and be my witnesses and take the gospel to the nations, I'm going to use you to bring people into the kingdom. And then Jesus talks about this binding and loosing stuff. And people are going, what is all of that about? Really, that's just Jesus saying, whatever you permit within the kingdom will, will have heaven's backing. And whatever you restrict within the kingdom will have heaven's backing. And so again, we see that. The best example of that is Acts chapter 15, where Peter and the apostles are gathering together to say, what are we going to do with this whole circumcision thing? Is this going to be part of the Jesus community? Is this going to be part of the the, the kingdom of God, the, the church of Jesus Christ? And they sit there and they debate. And then it says, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. That's exactly the outworking of what Jesus meant here. That inspired by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit with the discernment that the Holy Spirit gives, this new group of people would have the authority to make decisions like that about deciding what was going to be permitted and what was going to be excluded within this new covenant community. But the point of all of that is that it's not that that builds the church. Because Jesus says, and this is so encouraging for us, when Jesus says about Peter's own revelation, he says, blessed are you, Simon. Why? Because what you received, the revelation you got, wasn't because of humans. It's because my Father revealed it to you. Not flesh and blood. It's not from human origin. And see, sometimes when we kind of sit with that expectation, oh, wow, Jesus wants to build his church through me. What if I get it wrong? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I'm, when I'm witnessing to my friend, I just gets all jumbled up and I forget the four spiritual laws and I, and I say the wrong thing and, uh, and what, if, or what if they ask me questions that I don't have answers for? What am I gonna, uh, am I gonna ruin their salvation? I'm gonna, am I, we just put all this pre- pressure on ourselves and I love this because Jesus is saying, you know what? Take the pressure off, John Farnham, thank you. <laughs> Take it off, put it where it belongs. It's on the Father. The, the, the church is going to grow and be built not by your effort or my effort or us getting it around. Yes, it takes us participating, but it relies on the Father revealing the identity of the Son in people's hearts. That's incredibly liberating. And again, I, I wrestle with this all the time. God, what if I get it wrong? What if I make a mistake? What if I make a bad decision? Is the whole world going to fall apart? Is the PCC world going to implode because I made a bad decision? And sometimes I I really feel that pressure. And then I read this this week and I was like, thank you, Jesus. It's not about me. And I want to be the best that I can be and lead well and consult and make good decisions. Absolutely. But all of that doesn't deter from Jesus building his church through the work of the Father in people's hearts. And so I want to encourage you, your worst effort in witnessing to someone won't stop that person coming to faith in Jesus. Keep doing it. Your act of love and kindness, your friendship, cooking a meal for your neighbor, doing something loving and kind, and you go there and you leave it and you go, I should have said something, something. And you don't, 
don't be discouraged. Keep doing that and keep praying for gospel opportunities, not just to show Jesus' love in actions, but in words as well. And when somebody asks you a question at work about what you believe and how it doesn't line up with what everybody else knows to be true and what science tells us and all of that, and you go, I don't know. It's okay. Just tell them what you do know. Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Tell them how Jesus has transformed you. Tell them your story. And they might go, oh, yeah, well, that's just your faith. And that's okay. And that's the postmodern world we live in. Like what's good for you is good for you, but it's not necessarily good for me. And that's okay. Good for you that, you know, you know Jesus and he's changed your life. That's just so wonderful. Let the Father do his work. He'll do it. For your friend, your family member that you've been praying for, Jesus will build his church. And the Father is working with you. So keep doing it. Keep being obedient. Keep being faithful. And I want to challenge you every morning when you wake up to pray that prayer. Jesus, how do you want to use me in building your church today? Help me to be open to your prompting. Help me to be discerning to your leading. To ring someone to call a friend, to visit someone, to spend time with someone at work, just that little bit longer, to ask the right question. You know, I hope I don't embarrass you, Linda, but Linda, we bumped into Linda at the park, and she was saying that, I don't know, some of us remember praying for the person that Linda bumped into at uh, the furniture store, and the way that came about was just, she, she wasn't even planning to go and look for furniture that day, but she was just driving, and she was like, I feel I should go and look at a sofa. And she went into King Furniture and that conversation came out of that. It's incredible when we realize that the Father is at work and Jesus is building his church and he wants to use you. We just miss it. So every morning say, Jesus, how do you wanna use me today? Holy Spirit, help me to be open to your nudges, your prompting, that just that inkling to do something that I... I don't know, that doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you and be obedient and you will be amazed at how God might work through you and through me. One last thought. Again, tomorrow is Anzac Day and you know, we're celebrating these incredible men who went to battle and I just think of them, you know, some of them young men had no idea, no idea and they were there with very little training receiving orders to do stuff that just didn't make sense. And they were there laying their lives down. For what? You know, they say that that, that, that charge on Gallipoli Beach was one of the worst military disasters. And yet they gave their lives for it. How much more should we give our lives to honor Christ? Because he's gone before us. Right? He, he went ahead he embraced the cross. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And not only that, those soldiers, as valiant as they were, they left a legacy, yes, that we can be thankful for and we can thank them for our freedom and, and the wonderful blessing that they gave us through their sacrifice. But Christ calls us to lay down our lives for something that will leave an eternal legacy in the lives of a friend or a loved one or a coworker, that one person that God might use you to build his church through. Imagine that. Imagine that. Standing 
in glory and seeing that one person maybe that you just loved, that you prayed for, that you encouraged and God used in a chain of events that you were a part of to bring them to faith. How incredible that is. Isn't that worth sacrificing your life for? Isn't that worth laying it all down for? I think it is. And I pray that you will leave here going, God, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm broken. I'm weak. I doubt. I wrestle. You're in good company. And be encouraged because of the promise that Jesus made. I will build my church. Not you. Not the pastors. Not the leaders. I will build my church. And I'm going to do it through you. And I'm going to partner with you. All of heaven's backing will be there as you preach the gospel, as you share your story, as you do what you do, as you obey the promptings of the Spirit. All of heaven's backing will be there because it's the Father that is revealing the Son in the hearts of people. Why don't you bow your heads? Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Holy Spirit. Father, I come before you, Lord, in this moment of stillness and I ask for you to do what you did in Peter's heart, in each of our hearts. Father, my words are just my words, but will you take them and bring revelation by your spirit in the hearts of each of us today that we would get a fresh glimpse of Jesus, a fresh glimpse of his sacrifice for our sin a fresh glimpse that he is our commander and chief that's gone before us. And he's calling us to enlist. He's calling us to lay our lives down for something that will have eternal significance. Father, I pray, may you find in us hearts like Isaiah's that says, here I am, send me. Here I am, use me. Here I am. Build your church through me like you did with Peter. I don't have much to give. I don't have much time. I don't have much talents. I don't have much resources. I don't have much intelligence. I don't have whatever it is that we don't have. Lord, I pray that you'll show us what we do have. Even if it is just five loaves and two fish in the midst of thousand hungry people. Lord, that we would hear you say this morning, it is enough. It is enough. Father, I pray, will you challenge us to live for something more than ourselves as you challenged your disciples to lay down our lives so that we can truly find life. Lord, I pray every morning that we would wake up with that expectancy and that excitement and that eager longing to be used by you to make a difference to those that we meet that day, to be listening for your prompting the nudge, and Lord, that we would be able to somehow, in some small way, contribute to your kingdom-building work on this planet. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.